the word of the Lord, according to 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone desires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well and with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our gospel proclamation is the letter to Timothy from Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and serves as the basis of our theme for this 16th Sunday after Pentecost. Good lives only God can give. This saying is trustworthy. The opening line of this letter to Timothy is a word of encouragement from Paul to Bishop Timothy that God's word is faithful. Now, don't let that just slip by with nary a thought. I mean, let's just consider for a moment what is truly faithful these days. The obvious one is the cry of fake news for the last five to seven years or so. I think it's pretty clear to anyone paying attention to any media of late that today's conspiracies are tomorrow's facts and today's truths are tomorrow's carefully buried lies and disinformation. The competition for your attention is fierce, and it's pretty obvious people are less interested in getting it right than they are in getting your attention first. Clicks mean money, and, well, we all know what the love of money is. That's right, the root of all evil. Okay, enough of that. That's the obvious one. But what about these less obvious ones? I have personally witnessed words in the dictionary and their definition thereof changed in online dictionaries literally the same day some famous person defined it differently to fit their cultural agenda. 
This is ridiculous, but I can assure you it's happening. So don't trust any dictionary online and probably no printed dictionary after 2000 AD. Buyer beware is all I'm saying. Speaking of buyer beware, that's another thing you can't trust anymore. How long something will last? What is warranted against and heaven forbid you call out the manufacturer's guarantee? Literally, every time buried somewhere in the fine print is the exception that just happens to be why your product failed. So you can't even trust a rock-solid, no-fail, 100% guarantee. And we've become immune to the notion that anything can be truly trusted anymore. Well, we'll see, we say, and are rarely surprised when things don't work out the way they're supposed to. So Paul's assurance of the trustworthiness of God's word today is indeed significant. And we should take courage that this word has been truly rock solid, guaranteed for 2,000 years, never to be disproven or found failing in God's goal for it. And God's goal here in this lesson is the good pastor. Okay, I know all of you have been around long enough to know I am not a good pastor. I'm not even a good father or husband. I was not a good soldier or chaplain, and I certainly was not a good businessman. For we know that God alone is good, and we should not ascribe that designation to anyone in the sinful flesh. But you all know that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is not saying that kind of good. No, rather, he's talking about the noble task of becoming a pastor. And I think what Paul is trying to get across is that being a pastor and or a deacon is rough work. And you want a man that is not struggling with sins that torment them day and night, making their ability to serve the church nearly impossible. If they are struggling with drinking, it's just not a good idea to put them in front of the communion wine every Sunday. If they're consumed with passion for women, well, they shouldn't be counseling women alone late at night or any other time for that matter. And if they can't enter a quarrel amongst members of the church without raising fists in anger, they probably should not be in the ministry of conflict resolution. If their children are cavorting about town and their wife is with other men, well, they just might not be the best family life counselors. Not that any pastor is perfect. You all know that for a fact. But there are some things pastors and deacons should reasonably have under control. And quite frankly, anyone who knows God has forgiven them and wants to lead a life in service and leadership to the church should likewise have noble and reasonable control in these areas as well. I'm almost certain there is no one here tonight or today that doesn't understand this logical reality. But it was not so in Timothy's day. A group of antinomian Christians known as the Nicolaitans violated all these principles wantonly as antinomians, which translates roughly wanting to live without rules, policies, or guidelines. Because they felt once they were forgiven, nothing they did from that point on matters to God. Okay, makes sense, right? Well... I guess. But this really was a problem. I mean, 
a major problem, major difficulty. People were getting hurt emotionally, physically, and above all, spiritually. God gave them the law so they would know what was bad for them and everyone around them. And if there were no more attempts to even feebly be guided by God, the damage would indeed be unbelievable and hurtful and catastrophic and damning for sure. Jesus even spoke specifically to this when he spoke to John's prophecy in Revelation 2.16 saying, therefore, change the way you think and act. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Purely church fathers heeded this warning, carefully crafting good creeds to help summarize the truth of God and clarify who was following the faithful word of God. Then they worked even harder throughout history, devising teaching manuals known as catechisms to make sure that we use them to this day to help people learn the basics of Christian living, not to be saved by it, but to joyfully love the one properly who saved us from our sins. Oh, the shame it would be if this was the first generation of Christians that would fail in these creeds and catechisms that guided the church for a thousand millennia and longer. Slouching back to the Sodom and Gomorrah, the Nicolaitans, the Gnostics, and so many other heresies, they denied Jesus shortly after they believed in Jesus for selfish want of selfish living rather than looking back to the cross again and remembering the pain Jesus suffered and the death he died to save us from ever being unrepentant sinners ever again. This is indeed why we have a school. This is indeed why we have several new member classes that last 12 weeks long. This is why we have public school confirmation that lasts three years. This is why we have Bible study after Bible study to never forget the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, who took our Nicolaitan-like sin to that cross and destroyed it there so we could truly live new good lives because of Christ. But some fail, and we do well to learn why they failed so we can save ourselves and even our children from doing likewise. He showed up at our young adults Bible study group in Denver that Marcy and I attended with my friends from high school youth group when we were first married. He came puppy dogging after a pretty Chilean girl who had just moved from Hawaii to be close to her mother in Denver. She was invited by her friend who was already in our group. Now she always referred to him as just a friend that she met in Hawaii in a similar Bible study group there. And he immediately followed her to the mainland the same time she came over. A coincidence? I think not. And it turned out I was right. Shortly after they joined our group, he boldly broke out of their friend zone and asked her to marry him. And in utter shock as to his feelings, she confusedly said yes. The craziness of the romantic gesture overwhelmed her sensible nature. Well, mother to the rescue, pointing out some obvious flaws for their future marriage. 
First of all, he was a surfer growing up in Hawaii and had no skills, no prospects, and quite frankly, no way to provide for her, let alone pull his own weight. And sensibility at the lunacy of his actions, we could all plainly see, finally won out. And she broke off the engagement and returned the ring. Now, we all thought that's where the story would end. He would realize the jig was up, return to Hawaii and his surfboards, where he would forget about her forever. Boy, were we wrong. He immediately set about to gain a meaningful skill by signing up with a fly-by-night bathtub refinishing company, convinced it would prove his economic viability to his love and, more importantly, to her mother. But this would prove fruitless as the commissions did not come rolling in as promised and no health benefits were attached with the meager guaranteed minimum wage, which was only $7 an hour in those days. I remember that because that's all I made too, which is why I had a second job and was aggressively finishing my degree. I guess Marcy saw that I had potential. Thank you for believing in me, honey. I really wouldn't be the man I am today if it were not for you. So he volunteered at the church and was quickly hired to be the youth and family pastor, having no real skill, but felt the vocation of ministry could change her heart. It didn't, because he was never properly trained for it. And counseling a woman one late night, he fell into a devastating affair for everyone concerned. Most of all, for his beloved former fiance who told him to go home to Hawaii. It was over with no hope of rekindling the relationship whatsoever. The truth is, I don't believe he ever really failed as a Christian. In fact, I'm not sure he ever trusted God's word to begin with. He failed by idolizing his beloved and using God like a tool from the shed that you leave somewhere the day you used it and forget it entirely, only to buy a new one for the next problem soon after. Christ wants all of us to avoid this devastation to churches, pastors, and deacons alike, because his sacrifice was not earned cheaply and without merit. It was earned for our reverence, and with his great pain and sacrifice— so we could avoid eternal pain and constant sacrifice and live good lives only God can give. Amen. Now may that peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.